Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's podcast is the second half of our live MK3D show recorded in November. If you remember, it was such a packed show, we decided to divide it into two separate podcasts. So, coming up on this week's podcast, guests Maxine Peake and Dexter Fletcher. Uh, we didn't do questions at the beginning of the programme, uh, largely because uh, we're going to split the podcast into two because we've got a very kind of packed uh, programme. So we're going to do the questions kind of in the middle. I'm aware that we've kind of slightly overrun, but if we got a little minute, Nick, we've got time? If anybody has any questions, can you just run the house lights up for a moment? Look at this, I have the power to do this. Turn the lights up and it works. If anybody has a question, stick your hand up and we'll take them now. Yes, there. Uh, lady there, can we run a microphone to there? Hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing? So I'd like to know, what, which film for next year are you most eagerly anticipating and which film are you least eagerly anticipating? OK, the honest answer to that question, which is always a good question, is this. The thing that I'm the most eagerly anticipating is the thing that I don't know anything about. Because generally, because I'm a national press critic, I see things the week they come out and I often don't know anything about them other than what the venue is and what time it starts. And because of a man of my age, what the running time is as well, because it's, can I have a cup of coffee beforehand or not, you know? <laughs> if it's the Irishman, I stopped drinking any fluids from six o'clock the day before. <laughs> because, yeah, you think it's a joke, it's not, it's, you know, it's an issue. So honestly, the thing I'm, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is, 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 is the thing that I don't know anything about. Because I mean, all the films that, 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 that really delight me are the things I, you know, I don't expect, you know, when I went to Strasbourg and I saw I Lost My Body, which was absolutely great, and Greener Grass had just come out recently, and, and I, I had no expectation of marriage story, because I'm not a huge Noah Baumbach fan, and I thought that, I thought that, was, that was really great. And as far as, you know, what am I not looking forward to, I, I, I feel that the same way as everybody else is that there, there'll be a certain amount of cookie-cutter studio production stuff that we'll just get through, and it'll be fine. But honestly, genuinely... There isn't an individual film that I am or I'm not looking forward to. What I'm looking forward to is something I don't expect. And what I'm not looking forward to is the stuff that I kind of know is coming, like, you know, the inevitable animation remakes, live, all that stuff. Because I, I find it less easy to get enthused about that. But that is honestly the case. I genuinely, I'm, even at this age, I'm, I'm that open-minded, but actually it's just because I'm, sh you know, I'm kind of short-sighted. I genuinely, generally don't know what's happening before the film starts. I mean, I saw the film this morning, which is the new Jennifer Kent movie. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know it was Jennifer Kent's new film until her name came up. And then I love Jennifer Kent stuff, but I didn't know anything about it at all. So that's the honest answer. Uh, anyone else? Uh, yeah, over there. Hi. Hello. Um, 
BFI are just about to do a re-release of Eyes Wide Shut, which yeah. I know you're a huge fan of. Uh, I was just wondering if you are going to be re-watching it, and I have to bring up at this stage yeah. uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah, okay. The Blue Velvet thing is perfect. Firstly, I, I would like to make clear, I was not the person who coined the Eyes Wide Shit phrase, although I did... I did, I did no, I, I, th I think it was my wife, because she was on stage with the, here with uh, Michel Simon and um, uh, Jan Harlan when they did a sort of... I, I, I really didn't like Eyes Wide Shut at all. Uh, and I haven't seen it for a long time. And I have seen it twice. And I, both times I thought it was fairly poor. Not least because there's this whole thing about, you know, the, it's got this big orgy sequence in which, you know... It was, it's one of the most bland orgy sequences. It just looks like a kind of not very good straight-to-video erotic thriller in which everyone's got their pants on. And, you know, and Tom Cruise fails to get off with anyone despite saying the word Fidelio to a man dressed as a chicken. I didn't really understand what that was all about. But in answer to your question, I will see it again because it is coming out in cinemas again, and I do feel like I ought to. So I will see it again. Do I assume from your question that you actually think it's quite good? Okay, fine. Well, it, the, the music is brilliant. I love the Justin Pook score. I think that's really great. And um, it, there, I, there's a very erudite article in Sight and Sound, in the current issue of Sight and Sound, which makes a very strong case for it being a masterpiece. So I will go back, and you're quite right about Blue Velvet. I hate it the first time, and I now think it's one of the, the best movies ever made. But that was the first time I saw it, I hated it. Second time I saw it, I thought it was a masterpiece. First time I saw Eyes Wide Shut, I thought it was rubbish. Second time I, thought was, I saw Eyes Wide Shut, I thought it was boring rubbish. So, but, but I will give it an, you know, another go, okay? So, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you were at the London Film... How many of you went to the London Film Festival? So, fair, oh, God, wow. Blimey, Charlie, that's fantastic. Um, one of the films that was playing uh, at the London Film Festival uh, starred the fantastic Maxine Peake, Fanny Lie Delivered. I've been trying for some time to get Maxine Peake to come on the show. And actually... Uh, a while ago, uh, 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 Carol Morley was here with... Uh, is Carol here now? Yeah. Hey, Carol. How you doing? Are, are you both there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, fine. Okay, fine. Okay, great. So, is Cairo there as well? Yeah. Cairo, hey, how you doing? Fine. <laughs> is Maxine Peake with you? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Maxine Peake. <laughs> <laughs> After all this time, you finally... So, um, so I, have, I didn't see this at the festival. Tell me what it is. Uh, Fanny Lie delivered. Yeah, what it, it's a long... I did it, I made it a long time ago. It was... You shot three years ago? Three years ago. It's taken three years and, to get to this point. And that's because independent films take a long time to get distribution? Well, and Thomas Clay, the writer, director, editor and composer... Oh, right, OK. So I think that's why... <laughs> Very hands-on. He filled his hands quite full. <laughs> but, yeah, so it took... Um, and it was... The shoot was a lot longer than um, was... Yeah, I think it was three weeks we overshot by. I don't know, sorry, I'm panting. <laughs> My God, what's wrong with me? There's a sudden rush up the stairs, <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, no, 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 no. No, okay. I'm so, sitting at Scarra Morley, I always get some paper. But will we, will, will we get to see it in, in UK cinema sometime in the near future? Now that Because now that it's played at the festival, we know it's all done and well, signed off. I hope so. Sometimes you're part of projects and, and, and then the, communi the film shot and communication slightly disappears. OK. I'm sure once it does and then they sort of go, right, we're going to pimp you out on the press tour, they'll give me a bit more information. But unfortunately, I don't know at the moment, apart from it screening at London Film Festival, which I didn't make... 
Um, and I said, well, I'd love to see it. And they said, oh, right, we'll set that up for you. And I thought, oh, they'll send me a link. I can watch it on my laptop. But actually got me a bizarrely screening room in home cinema in Manchester. Oh, wow. So, oh, which, well, home is a lovely place yeah, to Yeah, but see just it. me. And then I sort of went, oh, and I don't like saying to friends, oh, please come and watch my film. But I've got an amazing friend called Carla Henry, who's an actress. And I said, oh, so we just sat and had this giddle in a sort of, the both of us in a very like, it's not the first time I've watched my own film on my own, but <laughs> that was for a paying audience. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I hope. I mean, it's, it's got, you know, people, I've seen Red Reason, people draw comparisons to which Finder Jamal. It's got that very sort of, I don't think folk horror is the same, but it's like a, it's, it's like a Western set. It's sort of just after the sing, uh, English Civil War, which is sort of one of my favourite periods of history, so that's why I was very keen to, uh, to take part. So you say folk horror. I was uh, watching not so long ago Gwen. Yeah, which, which I'm not allowed to say is a folk horror. No, because, because the thing is... Oh, I don't no, know. but the what? Okay, but I can say I'm a critic. Well, thank you. Because the thing about it is, what I loved about Gwen, which I think is really atmospheric, and I met the director who seemed like a, well, yeah, a, a very, really talented bloke, but it starts like one thing and then it kind of becomes another thing, which I think makes it kind of quite hard to market. But I spent the whole of the first half of Gwen thinking this is a folk horror movie and then it kind of turns into something yeah, else. And I, I mean, it, I loved it and I thought it was a beautiful film and the ending was very different. I think the ending originally, in the original script I got, gave it a little bit more of a, a sort of the finality of it was more of a folk horror. Um, but, you know, can people do that thing? And I think it's always this, it's, it's, it's like an endemic with British films that not a lot happens in people go oh you know but I was going if it was from Czechoslovakia everybody going you know I kept thinking it feels like a sort of a Czechoslovakia new wave you know what I mean that sort of feel to it as well but yeah um, uh, Will who directed it just I think it was was his first feature film and he wrote and directed it with the amazing Eleanor Worthington Cox who is going to be another star I've sort of got a list now of young actors I've played the mother of <laughs> who are now off. Carol Marley's the falling Maisie Williams, whose best friend in it was Florence Pugh. You know, I'm not jealous and I'm not bitter. <sighs> Jack O'Connell, George McKay, Holly D. Granger, I'm a bit, yeah. Get a bit sick now. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But also, you were... Uh, I, I feel that this came across wrong when I said that thing about, you know, Glenn and Lisa, it must be really lovely to work with, and you've worked with Mike Lee. I kind of realised now that it sounded when I was talking to Leslie Mike, like I was saying Mike... But it's the, what I meant was the Mike Lee process is very intense. And, of course, you work with Mike Lee on Peter Lou. Yeah, but I haven't had the same sort of experience, you know, as, as Leslie. I, I mean, before Peter Lou, I'd done, tiny, I'd done a tiny bit in um, uh, All or Nothing, I have to remember. I was literally in, in a taxi. Mm. I was a taxi uh, passenger, myself and Emma Lowndes, and we spent a day where he locked us in a room and made us drink pints of water that were pints. We were party girls. And I kept saying to Emma, I really need a wee. And she was like, don't come out of character, what happens he sees Because he does keep an eye on you. You know, and I was like, well, I'm just going to piss my pants. So he's got, he's got to let me out at some point. Um, but, so I'd done little bits with him and gone, oh, you know, I'd love to work with him on a bigger scale. But as Peter Lou had 102 cast members. And like when I started, Mike said, well, usually Mike said, I'd just do a film with eight people running up and down stairs shouting at each other. I mean, that was his <laughs> description. So he had to marshal sort of 102 of us. So it was a slightly different process. Yeah. I mean, we had seven weeks, and this is like before you even really do any improv. We did seven weeks of rehearsal building a character. And the process, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. And it's, and it's just a gift as, you know, normally I do jobs and you, you turn up, you say we've got two weeks of rehearsal and that never happens because there's contracts and 
they don't want to pay people longer than they have to. And then you turn up on day one, you go, hi, I'm Max, and you go, hi, I'm John. Right, let's get into bed and pretend we're having sex, shall we? You know what I mean? It's, it's so... To have seven weeks just to find a character. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so it was... But it, it was... And he's such... It's like, listen, he loves actors. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he can be described, sometimes people can think, it, you know, and he can be difficult, I can imagine, to interview, but I go, we don't celebrate him enough. You know what I mean? Well, I, this, we, I, th- we, I think he's great. Yeah, I, think I know, I'm not, no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not no, pointing no, no, the finger, sure, man. But, I, but, no, but, I also, but I also think, I'll tell you, my, my best uh, Mike Lee story, the first time I ever interviewed uh, Mike Lee was for, way, 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 way back, and uh, we got off on the wrong foot, and it was on, we were on a phone thing, and... and he didn't like doing... He wasn't particularly... Didn't want to do the interview, and I had to do it, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I kind of was trying to trying to demonstrate to him that I knew what I was talking about. And uh, so I said, oh, look, uh, just so you know, um, did you ever see the back cover about you on a monthly film bulletin? He went, oh, my God, it was the worst thing I've ever read. He said, it was literally the worst thing I've ever read. And there was a pause, and I went, I wrote that. <laughs> and he went... And, then he, and there was a pause, and then he went, oh, he said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm sorry... He said, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm very busy at the moment. I don't particularly want to be doing publicity. He said, anyway, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't the worst thing I'd ever read. He said, the worst thing I ever read were the sleeve notes of the Connoisseur video. I said, yeah, I wrote them too. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, since then, we've got on very well, because it was kind of, he got it all out of the way. But I think that's, you know, but he does, I mean, I, I played sort of a mother of, a mother again, oh God, I'm <laughs> I was a grandmother, actually, so that's me new, <laughs> into that, that, that realm now. Great grandmothers in another three years. But um, all, most of the young actors who were playing my children or children in, in law had all said to Mike, they got, you know, arrived at, at, for the audition and basically, you know, said, we're at, we're at the end of our tether. Work's really difficult. We don't know what we're going to do. And Mike, because actually, Pierce Quigley sent me a picture that I think Philip Jackson has sent him from a cinema in New York. And you know, the, the letters they put outside, it put... Peter Lou, with no one you know in, because it's a Mike Lee film. That's what I love. But he can afford to give people that break, you know what I mean? He can, you know, and it was amazing to see all these these brilliant young actors getting that chance, because he love, he does love actors, and he is great fun, and we spent the summer, you know, I used to get lifts back in his Saab. You know, I was thought it was probably the last time I was ever going to be seen alive. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, you'd say, come on, get in the car, I'll drive you back to London. I'd have to pinch myself going, I'm in the car with Matt Lee. And actually, sometimes I thought, what did I do? That's, oh, I did Peter Lou. <laughs> but it was more of a, he's very humble. He drives himself in and out. Yeah. He's on the floor with you all. You know, and he can be when he wants to be. Can, but you just have to, it's like anyway, you just have to, you know, he likes a bit of fun and I think he likes to challenge you. And if you come back at him, then you get a lot of respect off him, you know. You were, you were the lead in Funny Cow, um, which I thought was a, it was a really a terrific performance. I want to play a clip from Funny Cow. I have to say in advance... This, Over uh, your ears. This, 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 this involves what the BBC referred to as the strongest expletive. <laughs> um, do you want to just say something about what, who the character is in Funny Cow? Yeah, so she's Funny Cow. And that's a name, which I love to death because Tony Pitts, the writer, never gave her a name. And I never gave her a name, see, because I'm really method. <laughs> so I just went, she's funny cow. I didn't need a name. Oh, God, I'm giving it, you know, I'm giving it all away now. Um, and she's a, a young woman who is in a very sort of difficult relationship and sets her sights on being a stand-up. And it sort of charts her journey from abusive sort of father to fall into the same trap again with her, with her husband but it's then through stand up and through finding her feet she gets herself she gets herself out let's have a look let's have a big crunch club welcome for your next turn put your hands together for the funny cow yeah. 
very much. I love a warm hand on my entrance. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I was sat at home the other day and uh, there was a knock at the door. So I get up and I go to the door and there's a fella standing there and he says, uh, hello love, do you believe in free speech? I says, yes I do. He says, great. Can you use your phone? You've ruined it. I was just going to do an impression of a cunt and you beat me to it. Get your tits out! Oh, if your cock was as big as your mouth, I'd think about it. Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, excuse me, um, what do you call a woman who likes small cocks? What's your name, love? <laughs> Janet! Oh! <laughs> She's heard it! I think what I, I really like about Funny Cow is it, it's, it's not on the back foot at all. It, the world it's depicting is the world it's depicting, and yeah. it's you know, and it's tough and raucous and raw, and there is there's what we would consider to be offensive uh, yeah. material in there. And you just, it's a it's a really brave performance. Was it scary to do? Yeah, it was, and I suppose. You know, it took us nine years to get that film made. Tony had come to me. We were doing uh, one of the Red Riding trilogies, 1980. And he'd come up to me and said, oh, a producer, TV producer had said to him, you need to write something for Maxine. He says, have you got an idea? And I said, I've always been obsessed with women who did the working men's circuit, especially in the sort of 70s. Yeah, yeah. And Marty Kane was a big hero of mine, you know. And I just loved that fact she was goofy and funny and glamorous. And, you know, and she'd started in a cafe and worked her way up and became, a, you know, a big star, although you mentioned to a lot of people now, and they go, you know, there's a generation that she's yeah, been yeah, forgotten, yeah. and I, I was really sad about that. So Tony went away and went, yeah, yeah, I'll write something. Two weeks later, he came back with the script, and that was it. And nine years, we tried to get it made, and nobody would give us the money because they kept saying it's too offensive. You know, and our argument was, well, you can't rewrite history. No, exactly. that, where we, What happened then in the 70s, the language, is, I think, where we've, you know is a culmination of where we've got today. For me, it felt a very prescient film. You know, I know it's a period piece, but it, 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 it was like the nub of, you know, politically where we sort of exploded and the issues that we're having today. So, um, I forgot your question. No, so, you... <laughs> and, and that's not the first oh, time brave, somebody said that to brave, me. brave, brave, no, brave. As an actor, I'm, I'm off, aren't I? I'm talking about myself, so I'm having a whale of a time. But what... Um, <laughs> but what's... OK, but what's brilliant is this kind of leads us rather nicely into... We asked you to choose a film that had inspired you, and you oh, said that yeah. what you were really interested in was the idea of you know women in that circuit and Marty Kane, who people yeah. of our age remember because she was on television yeah. every week, she had her yeah. own show, and she worked up through those clubs. And the film that you chose is, as an inspirational film, is another film about a woman in a man's world, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, what and is it's that it's about women being unsympathetic. And somebody said to me, "You don't really cry in it." You know, and I said, what do you mean? And when we were shooting, somebody said, well, you've never really... He said, well, for one, you won't get an award if you don't cry. And I went, oh, God. You know, <laughs> laughing, and I, didn't, and I won't get a... I mean, even if I cried, I wouldn't get an award. But, um, and, but I just... It's about, you know... And, and people kept saying to me, oh, God, she's quite unlikable. She's quite unlikable. What does that mean? You know, I get so annoyed. And the thing about the film I've chosen is it's an unsentimental performance. And this, the main actress in it, who I adore and has been, the, you know, this was the first film I saw her in and that was a huge inspiration to me, is 
I was thinking about it the other day, I thought she doesn't act in hindsight. Yeah. She acts in the moment. It is unsentimental because it's real and it's it's truth. And obviously how, how she's directing, how she, she's shot, you know, it's, it's, it is in the moment and it's real. And I, yeah, so for me to go, why can't I play? Why does... It's just anywhere. I'm, I'm with. So the it. film you chose is Gloria, which is yeah. a great choice. Yeah. A really great I love choice. It's, it, and and I think for me, Gina Rollins as well. It was you know I'd always been a fan of Glenda Jackson because I think her performances there was always just you know what I mean. But seeing Gina Rollins going, all ah, right, it's like you you see somebody go, okay, there's 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 something to aim for now, yeah. and there's something that you 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 feel a real connection with. And I always go back to a film, you know. Opening night, um, you know, Woman on the Verge, I was doing Streetcar Named Desire at Manchester, and every time I struggle, I go, go and get a Gina Rollins out. You know, go and... And she just gives me that constant inspiration to keep going and to, you know, think on your feet and and not to make it sentimental and just be truthful and be in the moment. Trivula. Yes, please. Gloria. Yes? You know, we're not interested in you. All we want is the book and the kit. Do you understand? Sure. Gloria, why don't you take a walk? Take, we'll take care of that kid. You got that book, kid? Come here. Frank. What are you going to do? Shoot a six-year-old Puerto Rican kid on the street? You don't know nothing. He don't even speak English. moment after she's done that and then she does a taxi <laughs> and it's just why are people not writing more parts like that for women you know what I mean I you do know, this day in it come on so why aren't so you tell well, me I don't, well well how long have you got you know what I mean because I think I mean I know obviously Casavette is a man but I think as well there's just still an issue with female fil- filmmakers getting you know getting through getting the funding making a great first film great second film and then still struggling to get a third film through. And the scripts that people are frightened of, I think we've got very... I, I do think in certain ways we've got very conservative again with what we make. You know, it's that, isn't it? Um, you know, and it's w- w- it's got to go back to the art of it and the stories. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff I look at cinema and go, nah, 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 nah. You know, and we still make... You Don't get me wrong, there's still fabulous films made, but we're not encouraging people to be mavericks or to be auteurs like we used to be. They want the next this and the next that. Well, the ne- that was only something because it was original, isn't yeah. it? And then, but what do I know? I think what you know is that you've made brilliant work. You've worked with some really interesting filmmakers. You know, Carol, who's uh, here in the, in the audience, and uh, I think you've t- made really brave decisions, and I think you're extremely... Uh, I think you're a brilliant actor whose voice should be heard in as many different ways as possible. And if what you're saying is people should be writing more interesting scripts for people like you, then I agree. And my only question would be, how do you, how do you make that happen? How do you make that happen, Maxine? 
Well, it, but it, it, you need. I've said to Carol the other day, I said, can we just go and buy a commune in North Wales and just play the lottery <laughs> till we win some money, then we can make what we want to make? Because people aren't giving the money, you know what I mean? And it's, it's finding those ways then to get the money. It's like with Funny Cow. You know, obviously BFI were interested, nobody's interested. In the end, they gave us some money for marketing, but it took us nine years to get there. Mm. You know, and again, I have to say, I don't figure on many lists as a star of getting a film made. You know, a lot of the film, which I'm happy, I love the level that I'm at of the British indie films. You know, I, I think the scripts are really, really interesting and risque, and I love that. But I know, you know what I mean? And then you get a bigger film, and I go, sorry, we're, we're, you know, you've got to go on self-tape, and you look and you go, oh, my God, it's three lines, and it's like... You know, can I take your bag, sir? It's the rooms on the second floor. And I go, oh, balls. I'm not... My ego can't take that. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard. You get so far, and then you've, you've got to start again. I'll be honest about this. I would go and see a film that you had three lines in, <laughs> frankly. Well, there's plenty about. Thank you so much for coming. Ladies Thanks, and gentlemen, Matt. Maxine Peake. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And in a show that continues to be fantastically packed, I said we've been trying to get Maxine on the show for ages and ages. Our last guest had been trying to get on the show for ages and ages, and every time I called him, he was too busy doing something, whether it was saving somebody else's film or making his own mark with Rocket Man, which I think is fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Dexter Fletcher. That. Thank you. Welcome to the show. After all this, every time I got in touch with you, you were really, really busy. Okay. Yes. And then, um, and I, I love Rocket Man. I'm a fan thank of you. yours anyway. I'm a huge fan Likewise. of uh, Sunshine. Only thank you. That's very kind. We, you know, I, we can just be yes, nice. Yeah, we just. I just, I just want to say before I say anything else. Okay. Yeah. The Mad Monkey is a film you don't talk about. And, and I, the three people in the world saw The Mad Monkey, me, Nigel Floyd, and Tom Charity, and we all thought it was really great, okay? Yeah. And just the other night, I went to YouTube, and the whole film is on YouTube. Is and it? I, I watch this, this is a Fernando Trade. But how many people here have seen The Mad Monkey? None. Brilliant. Right? Brilliant film. Yeah. Dexter, 
I, it is such a strange, twisted, weird yeah. movie. But yeah. I, I, you're Br- and you play a director in it. Yeah. Malcolm. And now, after all this time, well, you, there, you've you emerged are. from the I, chrysalis. I, I, here I am. Uh, yeah, I, I don't recall a lot of that period. I won't okay. lie. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, and I, I remember sitting with Fernando Trebor and, and not really knowing who he was. And he was, this, you know, very... Um, you know, expressive Spanish guy, and I think that the casting director was obviously pushing me as the hot young guy of the moment. You know, as though you have these moments where you're suddenly, you know, the the light is shined upon you. And and I remember him sitting me in some hotel, looking, going, "Really? Is this the guy that they?" So anyway, I ended up there in Madrid shooting shooting the film, and I didn't really know what it was about either. But other than I was in in love with my sister. Uh, supposedly, and I was a filmmaker to try making this some kind of strangely erotic film about. It's her Peter Pan goes to hell, isn't it? I, I, yeah, if you say so. I mean, I, I uh, you probably understand it more than I did, and I, and I haven't seen it for 30, 30 odd years. Even, even that. I remember working with Goldblum and, and him being extremely strange. Yes. So Jeff Goldblum is the writer, and here's the thing. Here's the yes, thing with, with yeah. Mad Monkey. The Mad Monkey begins with this. It begins with Jeff Goldblum saying, "Last year." I wrote a movie that you'll never see. I should never have written it. Legrand should never have produced it. And my wife should never have left me. And I think, that's it, I'm in, I'm in. I don't care what happens. I mean, it's just such a, you know. Yeah. And then you play this kind of young... I, 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 I don't know what it's about, but I think there is... I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I can't shed any light on it whatsoever. I'm not, I should go on YouTube and look at it and watch it and see if I can sure, understand you should. it. It's okay. So look, after all that time, you know, then, you know, acting, you, you started out, you worked with Derek Jarman and David Lynch mm. and all this extraordinary stuff. We'll see some good... But Mike Lee. Mike Lee, yes. Well, yes. Ab- absolutely everybody. Yeah. Mike Lee, lovely, great time. Yes, all good fabulous. times. I, yeah, as an actor, it is, it's an absolute joy. I mean, I, I did, I, I, I had hit a period in my life where I'd, I've been a child actor, and 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 the the phenomenon of child actor is is that you you are simply there by virtue of the fact you are a child, and and, and you're not really asked to create anything other than be who you are, and and I had this natural ability to not care that I was on camera and just be very much who I was, and that was deemed as being a good actor, and in fact you're not acting, you're just playing along, but then you hit a period of nineteen and and and. Um, and you have to start being... I mean, actually, Jarman was one of the first people who start make me understand and appreciate that there was a character to be built and there was a craft at hand. And that terrified me because I had no basic training at all other than I'd been on a lot of sets. And Mike Lee came at my time in my life in my in my late 20s when I was really getting into the craft of acting for the first time in my life and and because of his sort of protracted process and because of that incredibly immersive experience that I had uh, with him even although he cut me out of the film which was you know uh, uh, you know the his won't um, I, 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 I I really gained a lot a, a lot as an actor from that and and did appreciate how how some directors do love actors you worked with David Lynch very early on can I show yes, a clip yes. from Elephant Man, Please, which yeah. the most remarkable thing about this clip is not only is Elephant Man a great movie, yeah. but you're on screen with the great Freddie Jones, yeah. and yet you're actually managing to get the audience look at you, which when you're on, <laughs> on screen with Freddie Jones is a, is a pretty tough battle. This is a great scene. Here we go. Okay, okay. Uh, how can I eat with noise like that? Uh. 
beef. What did you do? I know that Lynch had quite a hard time making that film. I, I yeah. knew John Hurt quite well. Yeah. Um, what was your experience of working with him on it? Um, with with Lynch. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I remember I remember the audition and um, that. I, that I was one of like three kids and I was the first one in there and he just spoke, he just talked to me about things. I didn't have any dialogue to say. He just spoke about things, that, that reactions that he wanted and he just watched me and he had wore this big overcoat uh, and and was uh, very intent on watching me and then he just sent all the other kids home, uh, <laughs> which which I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, um, but, but he, and he would do like one or two takes on me, which was... Kind of, I think he just, he had this great way, and it works with kids to this day, I do it myself now, is he just would speak to me what he wanted. And this is kind of the, one of the great or, or, or simple things about child actors is that you can sit behind the camera and say, turn around, smile, look confused, be happy, you know, and you just get these immediately processed reactions that... The audience that will give you what you want in that moment, where, how you want the audience to go on that journey with that child, because the child is is very uncomplicated in how they filter that response. Right. You know, they give you a very natural and open open, open way of of seeing things, and that's something I retain from what he did with me as a child actor, I suppose. But and I, I met him again recently after uh, just uh, at, uh, at an event in LA. They were giving him an Academy Award, which is nice. And I and I just had to go and tap him on the shoulder and say, I'm sorry, Dave. And he went, oh, hi, Dexter. You know, and this like, was 40 years ago that we made this movie. And I he's hey, you're making movies now. And I was like, I just... And I immediately reverted to being 13 years old again and had absolutely nothing of any value to say to him whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but he—he he, he was always wonderfully generous for me. I, and, I, and I did one time get a call completely out of the blue when he was making my Holland Drive, and I had to, and I had to go and sit with him, and and I got the script for my Holland Drive. This was in my in my yeah in my early thirties, and I and I was in my period of life, I was not working as an actor at all. I was just I had hit this kind of this wall, and um, and I was like, oh my God, I got this script from. Lynch and, and I've got a few stories about him when he, he when he was casting June as well I was working at the RSC and and he came and saw me there and I was sort of bouncing off the walls at the Barbican and Patrick Stewart was sitting in the corner and he just kept going who's that guy over there and I was like oh that's Patrick Stewart yeah blah, blah. <laughs> and and then June came out and there was Patrick Stewart and, and I, I wasn't in it but, <laughs> but but that's you know typical stuff really uh so I sort of run into him from time to time, but I'm immensely proud of that and my association with it. And the only John Hurt story I have is that I went to a dinner that Alan Parker was being given his fellowship, and then he has this beautiful lunch, and John Hurt was there, and and I and. Uh, and he was drinking red wine, and he was at lunch, end of lunch, and he took my red wine. He said, I've got to say, Dexter, you were, you, were, you were very good in Elephant Man. And I was like, wow, thanks, John, you weren't so bad yourself. <laughs> he, and he said, yes, but I was supposed to be. <laughs> you know, I, so, but I was just like, so yeah, I, I, I'm very lucky that I have these incredible moments like that. You've gone from being, you know, uh, a child actor and then an adult star in movies like Mad Monkey um, uh, to directing, you know, Wild Bill and Sunshine on Leith. And now Rocket Man, obviously you saved Bohemian Rhapsody. Well done, incidentally. Um, Rocket Man is just, so, I mean, I loved it. And believe me, I went in 
kind of nervous because I didn't know what yeah. sort of film it was and what it reminded me of it made me think of Ken Russell yeah. it made me think of you know because it's a musical it's not a musical but it is a musical yeah yeah and I, I, I and I had grown up with those Elton John albums I was a uh -huh. real kind of obsessive and I was I was you know if somebody makes a film about something you care about you're worried that they're going to drop the ball yeah. I loved 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 the film I want to show a couple of Thank clips you. the first one is the it's the bit when he's going on with the Dodgers outfit okay so we'll show this and then yeah. we'll ask it yeah yeah When did you know that Taran Edgerton was your man? Um, he was the man before I was the, involved, okay. to be honest. So I it was mean, always him? It was all, well, when I was involved, yeah, because uh, Elton was working on Kingsman 2 with Matthew Vaughan. Yeah. Matthew Vaughan's an old mate of mine and collaborator. We did Eddie the Eagle together with Taran, and I, they were all hanging around on the set of Kingsman 2, and I think Elton... <laughs> kept looking at Taron going, he's the guy, and they'd had this script sitting around for a long time, and Matthew, like yourself, big Elton John fan in his formative years, and, and once he found out there was a script, uh, and I, I started hearing rumours, because Taron and I are close, that they were talking to Taron about playing Elton, and I was like, it's a genius idea, because I understand who Taron is as an actor and, and what he can do, but he has this incredible voice as well, and... And I just knew that if it was going to be a film that Elton was a part of, that there was going to be an R-rated element to it, an, an yeah. honesty to it, and an authenticity that it would be striving for that I would really, uh, I was really excited about. And so I phoned Matthew, kind of go, hey, Matt, I kind of heard about this, you know, I was starting, and he just started speaking to me like I was doing it, which was brilliant. Uh, and he said, well, look, we're starting about three months' time and we've got to get... And it was, it was, you know, we hit the ground running, but but it, it, it was never a time when he sat down and was like, would you like to do it? Uh, he, you were he, just doing it? I was just doing it, and which is which, which was the, the dream scenario, really, because I didn't have to pitch for it and do all of that stuff that you, you, you kind of usually have to do. I want to play another scene from early on, which has got the most fantastic performance by Stephen Graham. Who's Stephen Graham playing in the film? He's playing Dick James. Dick James, Dick the James. famous Dick James. The famous James. Dick James, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, in, I mean, you know, in fairness to Dick James, he was an avuncular character. They called him Uncle Dick. You know, they loved him. But, you know, for the purposes of the film, you know, he, I wrote him quite caustic. You know, I, I, I kind of, with Lee, he was there. But I, I kind of created this Dick James that was really, you know, swears a lot of fucking a pair of wankers, as far as I can tell. I sort of, and Stevie Graham and I talked a lot about Bob Hoskins. He was like, I'll do it like Bob Hoskins. I'll do it like, I'll do it like Bob Hoskins. I said, great, great, great. Because the great thing, seemingly, about, about Dick was that he was really generous and very, very supportive of Elton. And a lot of yeah, yeah. those early artists that simply wouldn't have had the opportunity if it wasn't for him. And they called him like he did, but I wanted him to be caustic. So Steve is really warm, honestly, genuinely cares about the character, but he kind of coated it in this sort of real sweary kind of herbert of a kind of character. It's brilliantly beautiful. I love it. Best thing I've heard since Let It Be. Trans fucking Atlantic. Always knew you boys could do it. First thing I'm going to do is put you on a free album deal. Three? A year. And I got you a couple of nights of the Troubadour. Doug Weston's an old friend. Hang on. The Troubadour? Yeah. It's this really cool folk club in LA. Yeah, we know what, yeah, it, we is, know what it, is, it is, right? Hang on. No, let's not be hasty, because the thing is, I haven't even got a backing band yet. No, I've sorted the backup band, don't well, worry. 
dick. I don't want to appear ungrateful, but you can't just spring the troubadour on me. It's time to do something bold, Elton. Granted, America's a bit of a gamble. And you fuck it up and I'll kill you. Ray, I go to. I'll keep an eye on you. Look, buy yourself some new clothes. Do something flashy. Let them know who you are. Put on a great fucking show. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. Yeah? Yeah, I He also gets my favourite line in the film, which is after they've written, I think it's your song or whatever it is, and Stephen Graham goes, I'm going to get a massage. Yes, which, <laughs> which is... Oh, it was in the other scene as well. We did it in both scenes. It sort of become a running gag on set. And he was like... Because he had, like, this little secretary, you know, jumping about, and, you know, we kind of steeped it in that 70s kind of almost a bit, sort of tongue-in-cheek. And he's like, yeah, Maria, I'm going to get her a massage. And he kept changing her name and forgetting it and giving her different names. But... The, yeah, the, the massage thing came out of... I mean, I, I'm very much for, you know, having that freedom on set to let the actors kind of thrive and find that, yeah. that space and that voice. And, and, and particularly, he's a real joy, Steve, isn't he? Look, I love the film, and I asked you to choose a film that had inspired you, because I couldn't, you know, because yeah. you've done so much uh, stuff, and you came up with a really interesting choice. What was the film that you chose as an inspiration? Uh, for, for Rocket Man? Oh, no, just, just for, for the oh, show. Uh, Black Cat, White Cat. Yeah. I, I, just, I just love... I don't know, there's something about the authenticity, I think is what it is, is what appeals to me and is what I was trying to talk about with Rocket Man. And, and although Rocket Man is full of fantasy and kind of like these flights of fantasy, fantasy uh, that, that there's an authenticity to it and, and the people involved and the storytelling. And it never, it never lets up. I'm always engaged. I'm always excited by what's going on and who these incredible people are. And I would love to be able to... It's the same like Fellini, you know. You get these incredible characters. Like I'm always cutting away to, to you know, the extras or, or the supporting artists are really important for me mm. because they, they, they help create the world. And Matt Vaughan's always saying, well, why are you cutting away to the extras? They're not important. I'm like, I'm, they kind of are because it's the world. It yeah. gives it some sort of context. And... and and these films just for me, black and white, it's like, it inspired me, it's like you can do it, you can do anything, you can bring the people that you know and love in and create the world for them and, and, and do something exciting and really engaging and authentic and fun. Even though there's some darkness in there. I'm really glad because you've chosen Emmy Kusturitska and we haven't had a chance to play a clip from before. So here, I imagine many people would have seen Black Cat, White Cat. There is no point in attempting to explain what's going on no. in this clip. It's kind of <laughs> self-evident as much as... I mean, all you know is there is an umpire band that at some point somebody will throw a chicken across the scene, but not particularly. Here we go. Hello, Vremy. Ferski! Metu! Ale ty jaki feder fufna! I could sit here all night and talk to you. We've officially been told. We've got to get out because they yeah, want the yeah. room. So I want to end with two things. Firstly, okay. we, were go, um, we were going to show a clip from Sunshine Unleath, which I'm going to end next uh, uh, month's show from because I love Sunshine Unleath. They you. are showing Sunshine Unleath as part of the BFI musical yeah. season Fantastic. in Leith. 
Great. And we played it at the Shetland Film Festival, which I co-curate with uh, Linda Reith Williams, and we did a sing-along, Sunshine on Leith. And I tell you, I have never seen a crowd laugh and cry as much as I did in that screening of Sunshine on Leith. I and I, been there. You know, because I reviewed it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I loved it. Thank you, um, yeah. I really hope that Rocket Man gets the recognition it deserves during the awards season Thank because you. I think you've you've made a proper classic modern musical and I, I, I you know I'm 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 so impressed by it, Dexter and I really hope that Dream of the Mad Monkey gets re-released so that Me everyone too. can see yeah, it yeah, and so understand what we're going to do. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, Dexter Fletcher. Thank you. Thanks, man. So there we go, that's the second half of the MK3D live show recorded at the BFI South Bank back in November. If you like the sound of that show and you'd like to come along, then just go to the BFI website for tickets. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to hear a version of it without adverts and with some special video extras, why not visit our Patreon page? Thanks for downloading. Remember to subscribe. Keep watching the skies. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.